Good morning, church. Hey, if you have a copy of God's Word, you can go ahead and turn to Matthew chapter 1. That's where we're going back to. But we're also going to be in Joshua today um, in just a moment. But before we get into our text, I want to welcome everybody who is new in this space. If we don't know your name yet, we'd love to know that you're here. You can fill out a card in the seat back in front of you. Drop it into the box that says give. Um, we'd love to contact you in a respectful way. So please let us know that you're here. Um, if, if you're kind of an outsider in this room, we want to particularly let you know that we've prayed for you to feel welcome today, to feel like you would be embraced by God's people today. If you feel like you're on the outside of what's going on here today, um, feels like a particularly important story for you. Um, I just want to go back through the week because we had a really big week here. Monday night, if you were not able to make it, I'm really sorry because you can't, you can't put in a pill and dispense what happened Monday night. It was too much fun, okay? You can't, you can't, if you missed out, you really did miss out. But what I want you to know that happened, um, we celebrated everything that happened over the course of the year. Just We wanted to acknowledge certain ways that God's been moving among us and just give Him praise and glory. We honored people. Um, we also introduced some things that we're, we're anticipating needing in the coming year in terms of our budget and finance. We're hoping to raise about $60,000 in a vision fund that would go towards some particular needs that are going on around our campus, okay? So just things that need repairs that are in above and beyond what our normal budget allows. And so if you would like to know more about what we talked about, I would love to talk to you about it. The other thing that we talked about on Monday um, that I'd love for everyone in this room to participate in is, is our app. Um, if you go out into the lobby and scan the QR code about connecting, that's going to take you to our YouTube channel, our Spotify playlist. So if you've wondered, like, what are these songs that we're singing today? If you've ever wondered, like, where did they find this? You can go and listen to the songs that we're singing. And then the last thing, I would love for you to sign up for the Church Center app because that's where we communicate as a church. And so if you're disconnected from that, you're missing some of the things that are going on for us as a church. Um, we send our newsletter to anyone who signs up for it. But if you want to get in on the inside information of what's happening, like meal trains, prayer requests, stuff like that, you need to sign up for the app and join a group there. Okay. Um, other thing, this is just in terms of business before we get into our text today. We have several things going on uh, for Christmas this year as we celebrate Advent and move into the Christmas season. The first thing is that next Sunday we're going to have some of our kids uh, come into the, the service and sing with us, which is super fun. For the last couple of weeks, Tyler uh, Kemp has been going from the piano into the kids' spaces and training them with some children's music. And some of them are going to come in and sing with us and lead us because it's just super sweet that we would see the story of Christ coming. Uh, given to us in song by our children. <laughs> um, the other thing is, on Christmas Eve, we're going to have a service at 5 p.m. Um, kids are welcome for this service. It is like the cattle are lowing, the baby awakes, like all the children will be lowing, okay, in that, in that service. It will just be a free-for-all. So if you're like, no, I don't want my kids to be disruptive, sorry, they can be disruptive, okay? I might even interact with them. Who knows? Same thing for Christmas morning. Our time for Sunday Christmas Day is a little different. So if you showed up here at 1045, which seems like the majority of folks, it's really going to be early for you, okay? 930 is when we're beginning on Christmas morning, 930. So mark your calendars, maybe set an alarm for 6 a.m. if you got here a little after 1030. Um, 
Now, in all seriousness, we would love to welcome you. And, and here's what you need to know. If you are an insider to the information of Christmas, Christmas Eve and Christmas Day services are times when cultural Christians will come to church. So for the people that maybe don't really belong to Christ other than in name or by their family or what they would mark on a census that they're Christians and there's no other symbol that they would follow Jesus, these are days when they would potentially come to church. Now, we're not doing anything extraordinary. We're not doing like a light show. It will be simple singing and carols and telling the story of Jesus, okay? Because we believe that story is enough. The gospel's enough, okay? So if you would love, this is a, a particularly important time to invite people to come to church because they're probably going to do something around Christmas anyway. So would love for you to let them know about these things that are going on Christmas Eve, Christmas Day. Let's pack this place out um, and, and hopefully tell people about the gospel message of Jesus Christ coming to redeem us. Um, on Christmas morning, I just forgot to mention this, your kids are welcome to come in PJs. Like if they're over 12, 12 years old, you probably should put on some regular clothes. But I mean, sorry. But, uh, sorry, adults. Uh, we're going to treat you like adults here. So to, uh, Christmas Day, I would love for everyone to come. Now, let's set the business aside and let's look to what we came here for. A message from God's Word. We're going to start reading the genealogy of Jesus. Last week, we started in this. Um, and this week, we're going to pick up. And I'm going to read verse 1 and then skip down to verse 4 through 6. And then we're going to look at the story of Rahab. So let's just bring our hearts to attention. Because this is God's Word for us. All of it inspired by Him. Profitable for us. So let's receive it from Him. Matthew chapter 1, verse 1. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham, down in verse 4. And Ram, the father of Amminadab, Amminadab, the father of Nashon, and Nashon, the father of Salmon, and Salmon, the father of Boaz, by Rahab, and Boaz, the father of Obed, by Ruth, and Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of David, the king. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this, your word. We receive it as your word, and we give thanks to you. Pray that we would listen and hear the, the story of Rahab today, and for those that feel like outsiders, that they would be welcomed in. And for those who are in charge of welcoming others, that means everyone who belongs to you, I pray that we would be charged with this reality that you welcome in the outsider. And I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Now, I realized when I started praying that I forgot something very important. Every week we acknowledge that this is the word of the Lord. And everybody says? All right. Last week we started in on this genealogy. And if uh, you're like me, sometimes the genealogies are tempting to skip over. But I mentioned last week that genealogies kind of served like a resume for the people back then. Okay, So they would have been listing out everyone who was important in their history so that everyone would know how important they are. And I would assume that there are jobs that maybe you have applied for. And there's parts of your resume or parts of your work history that you left out. Okay, And there's parts of Jesus's lineage and his uh, 
history that maybe we would prefer to leave out because they're a little bit uh, salty stories like the one that we covered last week of Tamar. But there's four women before you get to marry that are included in this genealogy, and we're going to be highlighting them over the next few weeks, okay? The first one was Tamar in this sorority of grace. Uh, then Rahab, which is the, the story we're going to cover today. Ruth, which we did a whole sermon series on her, so we're skipping her, sorry. And then we're going to get to Bathsheba or the wife of Uriah. Um, just to recap these stories, first Tamar is a story of incest, whose story we looked at last week. Rahab, which we'll see today, is a prostitute who helps God's people and becomes part of God's people. And then we're going to look at uh, Ruth and Bathsheba. David committed adultery with Bathsheba, the, the wife of Uriah. All of these women have a few things in common. Number one, they're all outsiders in some way or another, okay? All of them marginalized. Three of the women in this story are taken advantage of by men or have a history of being taken advantage of by men. They all have stories that if they were our own story, we would like to forget these stories. But we see in this genealogy that God prefers to remember the stories of grace that maybe we would like to forget, So the bottom line for today, for this story of Rahab, is that God welcomes in the outsider. He's not ashamed to include the reputations of the people who would not be recruited for your Christmas party, okay? He's not ashamed to to include this guest list. He welcomes them into his table because how do we say it every week at communion? Because Christ welcomes the weak, not the strong. He puts them on the list. He puts them at the front of the line so that all of us would remember this truth that God welcomes in the outsider. And now we get to the second woman, Rahab, and you have to go all the way back to Joshua chapter 2 where she's first mentioned. And we're going to go through her story. A few things in her story, her place, her profession, and her prudence before we get to her faith, okay? So three parts of her story start in verse 1 of chapter 2 of Joshua, okay? It's going to be on the screen. Joshua, the son of Nun, sent two men secretly from Shittim as spies and said, saying, go, view the land, especially Jericho. And they went and came into the house of a prostitute whose name was Rahab and lodged there. A few things about the context of Joshua chapter 2. You have to know what's going on in Joshua chapter 1. And for the people of Israel, they've been wandering in the land. Moses has died. Now Joshua's in charge. And God says to them, I want you to go in and possess the land that I've promised you. Go, be strong and courageous. He says it like three times. Go, be strong, be courageous, go and take the land. So there's this land that God's promised to them. And first along the way to their possession of Canaan is a city called Jericho. Now, yes, it is the the famous place where the walls came a tumbling down. Before you get to the walls come tumbling down, you get Rahab and her story, okay? Now, this place that she lived would have been uh, culturally immoral, okay? Sexually immoral, They worshiped different little g-gods other than the God of Israel. But this is the primary place where people would have gone between the hill country and the lowlands, and it would have been a place kind of like Bucky's along the interstate, that everybody's kind of getting off to stop, okay? If you haven't been, I suggest avoiding it. This is a place where everybody stops along the way. It's known for immorality. It's fortified. In other words, if they wanted to, they could shut the doors and no one could come in. It's very important as they move towards the charge of what God has given them. 
And they're going to stay in this land eventually. But Joshua sends two young spies into the land. And he says, I want you to scope it out, especially this city. It's a very important city as they take what God has promised. And they come to the house of a prostitute. Now her name, Rahab, literally means wide open. Okay, In Hebrew, that's what her name means. Names mean a lot. And so we're not, we're not told how they found the place, but apparently people knew that you could go there and lodge. They get the word. They go to this place. They stay with Rahab the prostitute. And that is not only her name, how she's referred to, but it's her profession. All throughout the scriptures, when Rahab is brought up, she's not just called Rahab from Jericho. She's called Rahab the prostitute. Her profession matters because every time she's mentioned, it's mentioned. She's brought to mind every people who would bring her to mind would remember her story of where she's come from. Now, what's the right way to think about this? Okay, it doesn't mean that God is okay with prostitution. In fact, uh, this exchange of sexual activity for goods was frowned upon throughout the Old Testament. In Leviticus and Deuteronomy, he's saying to his people, not only can you not let your children participate in this or you participate in this, if anyone gains money, it should not be brought into the temple because of this. So not only is it wrong, any profit that would come from it is wrong. It's not just the sex market, okay? This is immoral. In fact, all throughout the prophets, when they wanted to say God's people strayed away from him, they would consider them a prostitute. That's how they talked about the people of God. So the spies have gone into a prostitute's home. They're not safe there from the king of Jericho. And let's look at not only her place and profession, but her prudence in the next verses. Verse two. The king of Jericho finds out, it's told to the king of Jericho, behold, men of Israel have come here tonight to search out the land. And the king of Jericho sent to Rahab saying, bring out the men who have come to you who entered your house for they've come and searched out all the land. But the woman in this moment, you got to wonder what she's thinking or if she's already decided, I'm going to help them out. But the woman had taken the two men and had hidden them. And she said, true, the men came to me, but I did not know where they came from. And when the gate was about to be closed at dark, the men went out. I do not know where the men went. Pursue them quickly or you'll overtake them. You better hurry, in other words. You better hurry. They've already gone. She brought them up to the roof and hid them with the stalks of flax that she laid in order on the roof. In other words, she had a strategy on how she was hiding them. So the men pursued after them on the way to Jordan as far as the fords, and the gate was shut as soon as the pursuers had gone out. Now, This is the story that people would have recalled, both in Hebrews and James, that we're going to get to in just a moment. This is the story that Rahab was known for. She took care of God's spies. She showed prudence, which uh, if you define this word, it means that she's wise in practical affairs. She's providing for the future. She's anticipating what's going to happen if these men are found in her home. And she acts accordingly. She acts willingly and quickly with prudence. She says, look, okay, guys, yes, they came. I didn't know who they were, but you better go hurry because they've already left. Now, I'm not going to get into the ethical discussion of, of why she lied or if she should have lied or what should have happened because rivers of ink has been spilled over whether or not this lie was okay. I cannot answer that question for you. Go read all the books written about it, Okay. But prostitution is wrong, lying is wrong, and somehow she becomes this historical figure who's amazingly an icon of faith in the New Testament. 
Now, in this moment, what happens for her is she quickly realigns her allegiance from where they were to where they would be for the rest of her days. Why would she abandon her people and ultimately leave everything that she's known behind in order to take in these spies, to hide them and to protect them? Why would she do that? Well, she's going to explain why she did this in the following verses. Look at verse 8. Before the men lay down, she came up to them on the roof. And then in verse 9, it says this. And she said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land and that the fear of you has fallen upon us and that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. In other words, you've become notorious because God is on your side. Next verse. For we heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before, before you when you came out of Egypt. We've heard stories about you guys. We've heard miracles about you guys. What you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to Sion and Og, whom you devoted to destruction. In other words, not only did miraculous things happen, you were able to destroy everybody in your path whenever they opposed you. Last verse. And soon we, as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted and there was no spirit left in any man because of you for the Lord your God. He is God in the heavens above and on earth beneath. So she makes this confession at the end of explaining why she's hidden them. She's saying, look, I know this and everyone knows this. There are certain things that she knows that everybody else knows. Everybody in the town was able to see that God was on their side, right? And when they saw it, they were deathly afraid. They were melting. The spirits had left them. They had lost their breath thinking about this group of Israelite children marching towards their town. Can you imagine it being a member of the city, Jericho? And she gives these three reasonable responses to hearing this news. Fear fell on everyone. Our hearts melted, which is another way of saying fear fell on everyone. There's no spirit left in them. They're sitting there wondering what's going to become of us. And in the midst of this, she uh, not only hears it, but responds in some different way. There's a way that this knowledge has transformed her already. She doesn't even know how. She makes this confession. Your God, he is the God in the heavens above and on the earth below. So what's the difference about her prudence? She has faith. What's different about Rahab? She not only hears word, but she acts upon that. And, and we get to figure out later, because the New Testament explains this, that, that she didn't just believe and fear. She acted on that belief, which is what faith is. Her confession was not just the Lord your God. He is God in the heavens above and on earth beneath. She acted in accordance with this truth that she had said out loud. And what I want you to know for us in this room today, faith is not just believing and acknowledging something is true. Faith is acting in a way that resembles the truth that we confess. It's the demonstration that we actually believe it. The example of Rahab in the South would be there's tons of people who believe in God. If you ask anyone in the South, do you believe in God? Most of them would say, absolutely. Do you believe in the God of the Bible? Most of them would say, yes, I do believe in the God of the Bible. 
even most of them would say, do you believe that he is just and that one day we'll stand before him and be judged by him? Most people would say, yes, I believe that's true. And maybe some of them would even tremble in fear, anticipating that that is true. But there's a group of people who respond to that truth and it resembles this kind of faith. I'm gonna keep, I'll come back to that in just a moment. She makes this promise. She says, look, if you deal kindly with me as I've dealt kindly with you, will you spare my people? Now then, please swear by me to the Lord that as I have dealt kindly with you, that you'll also deal kindly with my father's house and give me a sure sign that you will save alive my father, mother, my brothers and sisters and all who belong to them and deliver our lives from death. In other words, exchange my kindness for another kindness. Deal kindly with me in my father's house. Deliver us from death. And then they say in verse 14, okay, our lives for yours, even to death. If you do not tell this business of ours, then the Lord gives us the land we'll do kindly and faithfully with you. Just to summarize the end of the story, it's a beautiful story. She lowers them out of a window. They give her this scarlet cord and says, they say, hang this in your window. And if we see it, you keep your promises, you keep this scarlet cord, anybody in your household is going to be saved. Meanwhile, the people of Israel, they cross the Jordan. They set up some rocks. They worship. There's this army of the Lord guy who comes and says, this is how you're going to take over Jericho. They listen to him, and then they march around Jericho, and the walls fall. Now, at this moment, they're told to burn the entire city, take it down, commit it to destruction, and they are obeying what God has told them to do. And in this moment, we see Rahab's salvation, and here's what it says in chapter 6 when they're burning it down, okay? We can talk about that over coffee if you've got problems with it, okay? <laughs> Chapter 6, verse 24. They burned the city with fire and everything in it, only the silver and gold and the vessels of bronze and iron, so they put into the treasury of the house of the Lord. But Rahab the prostitute and her father's household and all who belonged to her, Joshua saved alive. And she's lived in Israel to this day because she hid the messengers whom Joshua sent to spy out Jericho. I want to look at her salvation for a moment because there are several things that she's been saved from, right? You would imagine that first on that list is she's been saved from a life of sin and prostitution because that's no longer allowed among God's people. She's saved from her history that's behind her. She's saved from the abuse that she's endured. She's saved from this city. And ultimately, she's saved from destruction. We don't talk about destruction very much, okay? But I want to consider it for a moment because she, we can only appreciate what we've been saved from and as much as we understand the gravity of what it is we've been saved from. We cannot celebrate God's mercy unless we know what his justice actually means. And so for her, if she is to be held up as this example of God's mercy, of inclusion, of being brought into the family, you've got to look at what's behind her in this moment, okay? It is a city that's burning down. And I can imagine in this moment for Rahab, the unknown of what lies ahead. She doesn't know these people. She's met two of the spies. She doesn't know anything about their culture. And here she is going out to meet them. There's this picture in a John Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress where Christian, 
who's leaving the city of destruction, is going to the celestial city. It's a, it's a great allegory about heading towards heaven. And as he's going towards heaven, he meets these two guys, okay? These two men that are running the opposite direction, going back towards the city of destruction. And he stops and talks to them. He's like, what's going on? Why are you guys heading back to the bad place? He greets them with a question, says, sirs, what's the matter? You're running the wrong way. And Timorous answered, we're going to the city... We were going to the city of Zion and we made it up this hill difficulty, but the further we go, the more danger that we encounter. So we decided to turn around and we're returning home again. The other guy's name is Mistrust. He nodded in agreement. He said, yes, this is true. Just ahead of you, lying directly in the way is a couple of lions. We weren't sure if they were awake or asleep, but we couldn't bear to think of what would happen if we came within their reach. They'll pull us to pieces. In other words, here's these guys running back towards destruction, and they're like, we're afraid of what might happen. And Christian, who's moving towards the celestial city, looks at him wide-eyed. It's going to be on the screen. And he says, you make me afraid, he admitted. On the other hand, where else would I flee for safety? If I go back to my home in the city of destruction... It's destined for judgment and awaiting fire and brimstone. I would certainly perish there. However, if I can get to the celestial city, I'm sure to be safe there. I must press onward. To go back is nothing but death. But to go forward, though I may fear death, life everlasting is beyond it. I will still go forward. Mistrust and Timorous shook their heads and ran down the hill while Christian continued forward on his way. It's this moment. It's this moment where you look behind you and you know that's not the way. You look ahead of you and you're not sure other than the promises that God has made. And for Rahab in this moment, I can't imagine what it would have been like leaving everything she's known, leaving a people, changing her allegiance from where it had been to where it would be. And for this moment, there's a lot of reasons for her to fear. For us who belong to Christ, the hope that's in front of us is far greater and, and this means, and if you're outside today, look, I want, I want you to know we're really glad you're here. We don't shy away from telling these kinds of stories because we believe that the best way for us to know Christ and his redemption is to see what he saved us from. We don't say it with any kind of joy, though. When we think of, of destruction or God's justice, we say it with trembling and fear. And weeping. In fact, Paul, in his letter to Philippians, he talks about this. He says that there are enemies of the cross, and he shed tears over them. He says it like this in verse uh, chapter three. He says, "For many of whom I've often told you, and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ." When he thought about their destruction, he wept. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. Their glory and their shame with minds set on earthly things. But what's our story? If that's what we've been redeemed from, what have we been redeemed to? Our citizenship is in heaven. 
And from it, we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like His glorious body by the power that enables Him even to subject all things to Himself. In other words, the same power that's holding the cells of this universe together by the word of His power, we're believing that one day it will make all things new. All of our history, everything we wish we could forget, and part of Rahab's story is that in this moment, her citizenship changed. Her destiny changed. And for those of us in this room that belong to Christ, we can look back on that and still say she's Rahab the prostitute. We can look back at our past believing that Christ has rescued us. It's only bad news for those who haven't embraced the remedy of Christ. Or for those whose loved ones we would weep over and have yet come to this truth. Maybe there's still people who are enemies of the cross. Well, in this moment, Rahab completely realigns her allegiance to the people of God. She could see all around her that hearts were melting. And rather than responding to this fear of destruction with like, well, maybe we could take them out. Because there's other people who are saying that. If we just get rid of these spies... Maybe we could take them out. She doesn't respond with that. She has great faith, and it brings about salvation. And that salvation leaves her past behind. It gives her a new story of mercy. It also makes her part of God's people. Uh, can you imagine if Rahab is delivered from this, the city smoking in the background, and, and Joshua and his horde says, here's a bag of loot, good luck. Hope you, hope you can make it in this, this uh, savage land. Casey and I were watching some horrible movie recently in the Hebrew. The hero saves the damsel in distress and then he drops her off the airplane with like a bag of money and says, here's a ticket to Australia, good luck. It was so disappointing. So disappointing. Can you imagine if Rahab gets delivered from this city and then suddenly he's like, okay, good luck. But that's not the story. Because the story of her history and her future is now connected to the people of God. From this moment forward, she lived all of her days with the people of God. Now she doesn't just belong to her past, she belongs to the people. And this church, every church that belongs to Christ, is a place where we not only can acknowledge our past with no shame, but we can celebrate who we've become and who we're still becoming. So our gathering every single week, I hope that that you guys see this and experience this. It's a place where we remind ourselves of what we've been saved from. It reminds ourselves of our shared identity and it reminds ourselves of the prospects of who we might be becoming. Every week we can come into this place and celebrate what God's done and anticipate the future of who all of us might be shaped by his glory and for his good in this world. So these gatherings, we rehearse every week the gospel story. It's not so that we can feel bad about it. It's so that we can remember and rejoice. We rejoice over what we've been saved from, who we are now, who we're becoming. We're a people who have a past and we're a people who together have a future. And in this story of Rahab, she not only becomes this this icon of salvation, but an icon of faith. And I I just want to conclude with this, okay? God welcomes in the outsider. There's two applications of that. The first one is this. If you're in this space and you feel like you're outside of the people of God, God loves to write stories like this 
where someone feels like they're completely outside of the fold and they're brought in. You ever felt like that? Maybe some of you feel like that today. You look around and say, these people like each other more than they like me. They've got a shared history. Maybe you come into this place and think that these people are too good. There's no way that their story can be as bad as mine. I've out, I've outsinned God's grace. And if that's you, what I want you to know is you're in really good company. Because everyone who actually belongs to Christ had some point where they knew they needed to be reconciled. And we look at this genealogy, it's a simple invitation to consider again the things that we said last week. Number one, God's grace towards us is greater than whatever the mess is in our history or in present. It's greater. God's grace can overcome even the effects of sin. And his promises tend to find their way to fruition in ways that we could not define or describe on our own. So God's grace welcomes the outsider into his family of faith, demonstrating over and over and over again that there's a new way to be. Now, John Piper, uh, he wrote several Advent poems over the years. And one, one of his Advent poems is about Rahab. And, and it pictures in this moment, he imagines Rahab standing on the outside, watching Jericho burn on the horizon. She's been spared and she, she's being watched by Joshua in this poem. Joshua walks up to her and comforts her. And I want to read this in closing. And, and I hope that if you feel like an outsider, uh, outsider today, that you'd be comforted by this story. She, that's Rahab, watched until the sun went down. And all of Jericho's renown blew southward to the salted sea. Then terrified and fearfully, she fell and spread her hands and face upon the ground. And to abase herself, she scooped the dust and dirt and threw it on her head and skirt. Until the last of strength was gone. And then she wept until the dawn. And choked out words repeatedly. Why was I spared? Why me? Why me? At dawn she heard a Jewish voice. Tis good to weep and not rejoice. The sorrow first and then the song. The words of Joshua were strong. Now rise and go down to the stream and make you clean. This is no dream. The answer to your cry, why me? The God of Abraham is free. His son is rising in the east. The priests have made us for us a feast. Go make you clean and come with me. There is another way to be. For those on the outside today, here's the truth. There's a feast that's been set before us in Christ. And there's a new way to be. Welcomed and clean because of what he's done for you. For those that are coming from the outside saying, why would God spare me? It's because God is free. And he welcomes us to his table to come and dine and to eat. She kept that name, Rahab the prostitute, all throughout. But she becomes this icon of faith. For some of us in this room, we have stories of who we were and we don't want to remember. She keeps this name throughout because of her being this icon of faith. She becomes part of the hall of faith in Hebrews chapter 11. Right there in alignment with Abraham. 
Rahab, the prostitute, did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. She acted on faith. And because of her faith, she becomes this example. In James, right there in the same sentence with Abraham, James says, you see a person justified by works and not faith alone. In the same way, was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out another way? For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. In other words, here's an example of what faith looks like. It doesn't look like fear and trembling only. It looks like action that resembles this kind of confession. She not only said, these things are true about your God, she acted as if they were true. And for those that would be on the outside and be welcomed into his family, the only expense is faith that he's done it. To act in such a way that believes, and not just believes with a confession, but with action, that we believe this is true that the only remedy is the cross. She becomes this illustration of faith. Rahab the prostitute becomes Rahab, this example of faith. Her faith transforms her allegiance, rescues her and her family, and she becomes part of a new family. So I wonder, do you have that kind of faith? Because that brings you from the outside in. The second application of God welcome the outsider is this. There's, there's a lot of us, we can get on board when the welcome doesn't cost us very much. It's not very expensive to welcome people who look like us, act like us, and like the same teams that we like, and do the same things that we like. But part of the way that we become a faithful resemblance of the God who would write this in his resume is that we welcome the outsider too. Romans chapter 15 says this, Therefore, welcome one another. How? As Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. It's part of the way that we remember our redemption is that every person who belongs to Christ needed to be reconciled. It was of God's initiative. It cost him greatly. It was at his expense that he welcomed us. And then he invites us to resemble that welcome to everyone around us. So when we come together in this family, we not only rehearse the gospel, we demonstrate it in the way that we embrace and welcome one another for the people that really kind of get on our nerves. All gets to be this demonstration of God's welcome to us. We not only receive it, we extend it. We become an avenue of God's grace. There's no one who belongs to God's family who didn't realize they needed to be welcomed into it at some point along the way. And we get to extend that reconciliation as agents of reconciliation to the world. And so for us, hopefully we're not just bellwether. Whatever whatever comes to mind with bellwether. But we'd be bellwether the faithful who resemble this kind of welcome. May it be so of us. Let's pray to that end. Father, thank you for your word today. I pray that you would give us the grace to resemble you in this grace, to celebrate our redemption, to remember it, to acknowledge it, and to bring others in as if there's a lot at stake because there is a lot at stake. I pray that our faith would create humble action. 
it would realign our allegiance to you. For those in this room that feel too far away, I pray that they would see that there's another way to live and there's another people to belong to. I pray this in the name of Jesus.